They know how to make you feel welcome when you arrive in Tbilisi, Georgia. You give them your passport, they give you a stamp for one year as a tourist, and then they hand you a mini bottle of wine. Coming up, we'll hear how one American is getting ahead by working from home in an ancient hub on the Silk Road. Or consider the fairy tale setting of Bruges. As a hometown guide explains, it's an ideal place to taste the old world pleasures of Belgium. Every Belgian beer has to be drunk from a specific glass. And guides from Italy tell us why Milan is one of their favorite cities to explore for history and culture, or just people watching and getting a peek at the latest fashions. Probably I'm going window shopping. Armani, Prada, Versace, Versace. name it, they are there. It's a tale of three cities in the hour ahead as we take a closer look at Tbilisi, Bruges, and Milan. Come along, it's Travel with Rick Steves. We're setting our sights on three completely different cities today on Travel with Rick Steves. Milan is the home to da Vinci's masterpiece, The Last Supper. We'll hear what else it offers visitors to Italy's commercial powerhouse city. For an intimate alternative, a hometown guide tells us what to see in the canal-lined heart of Bruges in Belgium. Let's start the hour checking in with Mike Swagunski from his home studio in Tbilisi, Georgia. After living in Medellin, Colombia for a year and dealing with a headache of constant visa renewals and approvals, digital nomad Mike Swagunski headed for Georgia, the one 6,000 miles east of Atlanta in what used to be the USSR. Mike's been in the Republic of Georgia now for the last year, and, uh, and he lives right in the middle of its capital city, Tbilisi. Georgia's capital has been a crossroads of ethnicities, religions, and backgrounds for centuries. And after generations of hard times, Tbilisi is now a more stable city and boasts uh, an improving economy. Today, Mike Swagunski joins us to talk about what life in modern Tbilisi is like and why it should be a top digital nomad destination for travelers. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on here, Rick. Excited to chat about Tbilisi. Yeah. No, first of all, um, I, I'm eager to get into Tbilisi, but I want to also remind people, you are not on vacation. You are living and working as a digital nomad. And that's what you write about in your book, which is called Global Career, How to Work in, Anywhere and Travel Forever. You love living and working in, in Georgia, and you are still working as if you could be anywhere on the planet. What is a digital nomad, and why is the Republic of Georgia a great place for you to use as a hub? Yeah, essentially a digital nomad is anybody who's able to make money from their laptop and doesn't have to stay in one location. Tbilisi has been one of the best digital nomad hubs, and it's becoming one of the most popular places for digital nomads. And one of the big draws is how welcoming they are to expats, digital nomads, and online entrepreneurs. And one of the examples is, I've never seen this anywhere in the world after visiting 85 countries. The person who takes your passport, you give them your passport, they give you a stamp for one year as a tourist, and then they hand you a mini bottle of wine. It took a few minutes to go through the border control, and they just seem very welcoming. It's a small country of around 3.7 million people. And Tbilisi in Georgia has just been one of these places that's embracing digital nomads and very welcoming to all types of tourists and travelers. So, Mike, for me, I always go to Europe, and, and it occurs to me there's all these exciting destinations that almost nobody goes to, it, it seems like. I mean, I, I can't remember talking to anybody who loves Tbilisi, and it's only a couple of hours on the plane east of Istanbul or Rome or, or Berlin or, or Frankfurt. You can just go there, and not only are you warmly welcomed, but they give you a bottle of wine. 
is it realistic for somebody who's going to Europe to spend a couple of extra hours on the plane and just check out Georgia? I 100% think that it is. I think it's one of these places that's a little bit off the beaten path, but the flight is definitely worth it. And the great thing about Tbilisi in Georgia is it's fairly compact. So you can see a lot of the country within a little bit of time. And there's so much to explore. It's like a mini Switzerland, but for one-tenth the cost. Wow. A mini Switzerland with one-tenth of the cost. That sounds appealing. Now, when you're there, do you feel like you're in Eastern Europe or Southwest Asia? What's the culture that you see on the street? So it feels traditionally like a European style. It's kind of a modern city mixed in with some older architecture. But essentially, the culture is European, but the pricing is based off kind of similar Mm -hmm. to Southeast Asia. Now, it was part of the Soviet Union, but that was, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, Do you feel Russian influence to this day? Is the language still predominant? Does it sort of face Moscow or does it face London? Yeah, I would say there's historically a lot of the, you know, older generation, their second language is going to be probably Russian. But if they're under 30, most of the people are going to be speaking a second language of English. And I would say they're, Mm -hmm. they've definitely tried to kind of turn their backs to Russia a little bit and embrace more of the U.S., London kind of culture. You know, like Americans love their Mexican food. When I was in in Russia in St. Petersburg, everybody was going out for Georgian food. It was a local favorite. How's the food for you? Oh, it's so delicious. And if you are coming here, get ready to pack on a few pounds. The wine is very tasty and extremely affordable, too. Now, is this a mix of, of cuisines? Because you're surrounded by pretty good cuisine. I mean, there's, there's Turkish and, and Russian, Hungarian around you, or, or is it distinctly Georgian? I would say the majority is Georgian, but they do have a lot of great international options. So even if you're looking to get Asian food, Turkish food, they kind of have something for everyone here. There's a really in-depth amount of food options in, in Tbilisi. When I was in St. Petersburg, we went out for Georgian. There's some kind of a pizza. Oh, yeah. Kachapuri. Kachapuri. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) Describe the pizza. My favorite dish is the jari and kachapuri, which is like a boat-shaped pizza with some butter and egg in the middle. It looks so interesting, but it and it tastes delicious. You know, there's a similar pizza like that in Turkey. So that's uh, sort of from that that region, I think. What about the and the local dumplings are, are a favorite thing also. Yeah, the kinkalis. So these are meat or cheese stuffed dumplings with a little bit of soup inside. So there's a certain way to eat it. You're not supposed to pick it up with a fork. You need to kind of grab it with your hands, take a little bite, mm-hmm. and then you kind of just drink the soup out of it and then then you bite into it. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit different than other dumplings. Yeah, I, I felt like a real klutz when I was trying the dumplings in, uh, when I, again, was with my friends in, in Russia. It was uh, just a hilarious and a, and a tasty evening going out for Georgian food and eating the dumplings. What, what are they called? Kinkali or something? Kinkalis, yes. And I've got a friend who imports wine, and, and I'm always tuned into wine in Italy and France, and, and this guy has really got high standards, and he was blown away by the quality of the wine in Georgia. Yeah, I mean, they essentially are credited with finding the earliest remnants of wine in Georgia. So hmm. they essentially invented it, and they've... They've got it figured out by this point. They've been able to make some extremely delicious wine. And if you're interested in wine, uh, if you visit Tbilisi, the wine country is only about an hour, hour and a half away from Tbilisi. So you can get out to the vineyards and stomp on some grapes. And it's probably not very expensive wine either. Mike Swagunski is a digital entrepreneur who advocates working from home overseas. Mike hosts a YouTube channel and is the author of Global Career, How to Work Anywhere and Travel Forever.
Right now on Travel with Rick Steves, Mike's letting us in on why he's chosen to live in Tbilisi, the capital of the Republic of Georgia. Mike blogs at globalcareerbook.com. Okay, Mike, Georgia is a relatively small country, what, less than 4 million people. It's got beautiful landscapes, you said, like Switzerland, but at a tenth of the cost. The capital city where you live is, it's got, what, a million and a half people? It's almost pushing half the, the people in the whole country live in the capital city. What is Tbilisi like? Is it a lot of uh, former Soviet cities just feel gutted and concrete and very utilitarian? Is there any charm? Is there a labyrinthine old town? Uh, what, what does it feel like to explore Tbilisi? Yeah, it definitely has some of those older Soviet-style buildings, but it kind of adds to the the atmosphere here because there's so many beautiful old architectures mixed in with some of these old Soviet buildings and then a blend of these really unique modern architectures. Uh, so it, it's to me, it's a beautiful city, and there's so many lovely parks here. I would say that's something that I never realized after living in Colombia is how much I miss being able to go to a nice park, have a picnic, mm. kind of hang out and go to a cafe. There's really a beautiful old town area as well, in addition to all these wonderful parks and botanical gardens. So it sounds like they love their botanical gardens and it's even tied in with their, you know, their their parks and their hikes and their funiculars and cable cars. Uh, there's a lake near the capital, Lake Lisi. Yeah, Lake Lisi is another beautiful area. Essentially, if you're into hiking and outdoor stuff, Tbilisi in Georgia is going to be a great destination for you. Even in your own backyard of Tbilisi, I live, you know, a five-minute walk to some of the nicest hikes in the city. So you don't have to travel too far, but if you want to get in a car, you can venture off to some, you know, really nice parks and botanical gardens just right outside of the city. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Mike Swigunski, and his book is global career, how to work anywhere and travel forever. So Mike, I'm just going to fly into Tbilisi and you're going to meet me and give me the most amazing day to make me realize Tbilisi is a place that should be on our radar when we're thinking of flying all the way to Europe. What would we do if I was with you for one day of the best of Tbilisi? Yeah, Rick. So I would uh, definitely welcome you by starting off with some traditional Georgian dancing, a good Georgian meal with kinkalis and Najarian kachapuris. And they've got some delicious food here. So after a nice lunch, I would say we'd probably go to the Old Town, uh, experience some of the bathhouses and just kind of walk around the, the fortress area, take a funicular and cable car and maybe even visit the bathhouses to get a nice relaxing sauna experience. They have some really hot natural sulfur springs. And then after we've kind of relaxed, go and experience some of the wine culture and and maybe do a a wine tour. So one of the most happening areas is in Vera. And there's a lot of great wine tastings and restaurants that offer delicious wine. So I know you do like to have a good glass of wine. So I try to take you on an introductory tour and a sampling of wine in the center of the city, Vera. And then after that, kind of show you some of the biggest sites, the Holy Trinity Cathedral, which is one of the largest churches in the world, and then also take you out to the Chronicles of Georgia, which is a massive monument located near the Tbilisi Sea. So we've got a definitely a, a big day packed if you do end up coming to visit here. So what is the Chronicles of Georgia? It sounds interesting, but what, what kind of monument is that? Yeah, essentially it's these huge black pillars. It was built around 20 years ago. I've never seen anything like this. The only thing that I could say it kind of looks like is a modern-day Stonehenge. 
So it's something similar to that, but it was built within the fairly recent times. What is your experience as an American who's an expat living in Tbilisi? What's the welcome that that you've experienced and and what's the welcome I can expect if I visit the Republic of Georgia? Yes, I would say coming to Tbilisi in Georgia has been one of the most welcoming countries I've ever visited. And I think it probably goes back to their old proverb, every guest is a gift from God. They really truly believe that every person and tourist visiting here is somebody that they should welcome with open arms, give them a good Georgian experience. And the locals here are extremely friendly. I would say the culture is one of the most welcoming countries that I've ever visited. And I guarantee if you come here, you'll really get along well with Georgian people. Mike Swagunski, thanks so much for a peek at Georgia and uh, best wishes with your work as the author of Global Career, How to Work Anywhere and Travel Forever. Thanks so much for having me on, Rick. Looking forward to meeting up with you one day here in Tbilisi, Georgia. Sounds great. You can listen to Mike's earlier interviews about living as a digital nomad. Links are in the notes for this week's show at ricksteves.com slash radio. We're at 877-333-RICK as we explore the charm of Bruges in Belgium next. It's Travel with Rick Steves. We'll get tips from a pair of European tour guides for visiting Italy's capital of finance, fashion, and design, Milan. That's in just a bit on today's Travel with Rick Steves. Right now, let's find out why the combination of heavy-hitting medieval history and architecture and the timeless pleasures of good beer, mussels, and frites, plus some of the world's best chocolate, combine to make Bruges the kind of old-world getaway where you don't mind being a tourist. Bruges is the capital of West Flanders in the northwest of Belgium, close to the North Sea. It's near the borders with the Netherlands and France, and just a short hop across the Strait of Dover from England. Bruges is also where tour guide Nico Favarille calls home. Nico, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. So tell me about your work and, and what it's like to be a guide in Bruges. It's great. It's a city that most people are very excited about to see. So as soon as you meet a group, for instance, for a guided tour of Bruges or a longer stay, they're already excited to be there. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's not a place where they've never heard of, uh, so you uh, already have that. It's also an easy city to guide in because it's there. The beauty is there. Uh, it has a lot of history. Every corner has a house with something that you could talk about. It feels almost fanciful. It is. It is. Uh, for, for a lot of uh, Flemish people who may not work in tourism, they think it's an open-air museum yeah. and kind of avoid it a little bit. It is pretty um, sweet. I mean, it's filled with tourists and, you know, sugary examples of uh, clichetic Belgian culture. Yes, we have a few temptation streets, as we call them, but they're not filled with... Uh, Drugs and prostitutes. No, they're filled <laughs> with chocolates and beer, and no, uh, it's uh, quite tempting. Yes. So, and you've got this amazing cathedral that just rockets up in the center, that spire made out of bricks. It's just yes. awe-inspiring. Yeah, it's uh, the Church of Our Lady, the uh-huh. Notre Dame, basically. Yeah. The cathedral is a little bit further uh, up, but uh-huh. the uh, Church of Our Lady is the one that everybody sees from a far distance. Yeah. It's like Lego bricks. When you look at that tower, it looks like a skyscraper it made is. out of bricks, yes. but it's a church spire. It's uh, amazing. Uh, nowadays, we have, of course, a lot of buildings, but if you would have arrived in Bruges, say, in the early Middle Ages, yeah. you would have seen that church tower from miles and, and miles ahead. And people know? traveled a, a lot of times for religious purposes back then. They and, did. And uh, you would, you'd be walking, and from far in the distance, you'd see that spire, and you go, ah, our destination. And that's a way of uh, showing where trade was done. If you had a big yeah. spire, 
And then uh, you step inside and, and, and you find a Michelangelo statue. Yes. I think it's the only Michelangelo in Northern Europe. That's sort of an indication of how important Bruges was. It is. Not just a tourist town. Mm. It had a Michelangelo. And it was a purchase. It wasn't really given to uh, uh, the church or so. It was yeah. someone who had traveled, traded with north of Italy yeah. and uh, got the statue. Now, across from the church, there's a, a beautiful bridge. I mean, every bridge in Bruges just seems like it's made for a painter to set up an easel and paint it. But then beyond that, there's a little dock and small touristic boats that take people around. What would you find when you get on one of those boats? Yeah, you have five stops that... Um basically give you the same experience. So uh, every boat does the same tour. It's a 45-minute tour. I mean, they're not covered, so you have to be lucky with the weather, but it's a must. Uh, The queues can be quite long, so maybe you want to call ahead. Bruges is crowded, so you want to go early or go late. A lot of times, you know, it's crowded in the middle of the day, but it's remarkable how quiet it gets later on. And if things are open until 7 o'clock, try them at 6 o'clock. Yeah, definitely. And on beautiful sunny days... um, you know, the Belgians in general, if they can make business, they uh, will stay open a bit longer. Yeah. So if there's still good weather and large crowds, they, they will still go on. The Belgians, if, if they're able to stay open longer. So are you saying that the Belgians are like uh, good merchants? Yeah, good. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, we see this business in, uh, people. Yeah, in a, in a town like Brussels, which is, of course, not Bruges, uh, mm-hmm. bars open until no yeah. customers are there. I was thinking the Dutch are famously frugal and, and hardworking and so on. But when you think about Belgium, it's sort of a split society. Half mm-hmm. of it is uh, Walloon and French, and half of it is Flemish, Flemish and, and yes. more Dutch, speaking the same language as they speak in the Netherlands. Yes. What is Bruges? What part of Belgium? So Bruges is, is a Flemish city. Okay. It's, uh, Flanders can be a historical concept, and mm-hmm. Bruges was a very important part of historic Flanders. Yeah. But it's uh, now uh, the most touristy city of the, the Dutch-speaking region of Belgium, which is also yeah. called Flanders. Now, when you get on that little boat, Nico, you sail by, it's sort of a parallel world. There's none of the crowds, it's just you, well, it's a gang of tourists on the boat, but you've got ivy-covered brick walls, and you've got all sorts of beautiful courtyards and uh, underbridges, and what's the highlight of that boat for you? What do you enjoy? Um, There is a a little point where uh, the boat turns around, and... Mm -hmm you can see how far the canal still stretch. So even though the boat doesn't get you there, it gives yeah. you um, the idea of maybe I should come back to this area and walk around and stroll along the canals. So it's a nice overview and you get yes. some ideas. And it is a reminder, if you just walk three or four blocks away from all of the tourism, it does get more peaceful and it's actually residential. And you see people living in 400-year-old brick homes. It's just actually quite quaint and charming and, as we are saying, almost fanciful. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Nico Favarilla. And Nico is a guide from Belgium. He lives just a few miles away from Bruges, and he takes Americans around this beautiful city. Also, across from that big church that we were talking about, right next to the boat docks there, there's um, it's like a medieval hospital. Mm-hmm. This is, to me, fascinating to think that religion and medicine and art, it, it kind of mixed together. What do we find when we step inside? It is a, a hospital where people uh, were brought to be taken care of most Uh of the time at the end of their life in those days. Uh, So very religious. The nice thing is because of the religion linked to the hospital, you have a lot of religious art. And the contributor of religious art is Hans Memling. It's not so, not really considered a hospital museum, but it's more the Memling Museum. So it was a hospital. It, it has this gothic feeling of mm-hmm. old Bruges. But if you like Memling, and if you don't know Memling, Memling is sort of the quintessential Flemish artist. Isn't yes, he? Yeah, very detailed as well. Exquisite, the detail. 
And apparently he was sick and was taken care of in the hospital. And as a, a kind of a gesture, oh. he donated some of his best work. You got to check that out. Now, everything we've been talking about is within 100 meters of each other right now. Yes. The church, the little canal tour, and the memlings and yeah. this medieval hospital. And that's just the beginning of Bruges. And it's all contained in a beautiful wall surrounded by a canal. Yes. And it's just a delightful opportunity. It's about an hour away from uh, Brussels. You can get there from Amsterdam quite easily. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Nico Favarillo, our friend from Belgium, the Dutch half of Belgium. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. You can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. And Jim's calling in from Colorado Springs in Colorado. Jim, thanks for your call. Have you been to Bruges? I have, Rick. We, uh, my wife and I went uh, a couple of years ago and had a wonderful experience in Bruges. Beautiful city, beautiful scenery, took some great photos. And um, one of the things we discovered was Bert Café. Uh, it was called the uh, Axe Dog, and I, I'm not sure exactly what the translation for that is, but it's one of those 400-year-old homes that you talked about. Uh-huh. And it was just outside the old city gates. And the woman invited us in, and we had a lovely aperitif in the afternoon with her. And this is the Burt Cafe. It's called Burt Cafe, yes. Burt it's Cafe. at uh, Wurfstraat 3 yeah. in Bruges. Uh, Wurfstraat. Well, it must have been on a, on a canal then. <laughs> Bruges comes from the same word as Brugge, Brugge. Um, which, uh, I mean, there's a bit of, uh, it sounds very much like the, the current name for bridge, Brugge, bridge. Okay. but um, it may be derived from a docking spot, yeah. and then an old Celtic word, also Vikings use it like Bergen in Bergen Nor- Norway. Bergen in Norway, same thing. So a docking spot, yes. So, Nico, uh, Jim went to this, uh, sounds like a wonderful uh, family-run, elegant uh, restaurant in an old home, and when I'm updating my guidebook, I'm always spending the evenings looking for restaurants that are good value. And, you know, you got the high-rent restaurants in the main square. But if you walk farther away, as Jim did, you find wonderful architecture, old homes, and hardworking entrepreneurial restaurateurs. Mm-hmm. And uh, always in Bruce, there's new restaurants popping up. And uh, it's just a delightful dimension of, of the travels there. Jim, when you were in Bruges, what else do you remember as a highlight? Well, obviously, the um, tour of the brewery, which has been there for 400 years, it was an amazing tour. It's been to a lot of breweries, obviously, but um, this one was rather unique because of the age. This is the, uh, it used to be Strafe Hendrick, right? It's, yeah, this uh, hal- the yeah. Halve Mound Brewery. Okay. So uh, where they yeah. have the strong Henry, the Straffe Henry, yeah. which is one of the beers that it's they It's a great uh, beer. It's a great beer. But what's yes. really cool about Absolutely this is you, you take the tour, and it's, a, it's just a fun-loving tour, isn't it, Jim? Very nice, yeah, very very cordial and very friendly and very personal. And you see the actual beer-making process, and of course, at the end, you've worked up this amazing thirst, and you've got to drink what they've been making there, and they have this beautiful, beautiful lobby where you, you enjoy that beer. I, I treat myself to that tour after a, a long day of researching in Bruges. It's, it is a highlight. Jim, thanks for your call. Thank you, Rick, and thank you for your help with our touring. You bet. Thanks for traveling with us. And Catherine's calling in from Decorah in Iowa. Catherine, thanks for your call. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. What are your memories of Bruges? Well, Bruges is one of my favorite spots in all of Europe. I just love the history and the charm of the architecture. Um, I happened to, when I was there a couple of years ago, visited a a spot that's um, not in the very center of Old Town, but which I thought was very special. And I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but the name is Princely Bejanaj Tin Vigarard. 
and obviously Nico can correct my pronunciation. So, but it's, but it's, it's, a, it's a beganage. It's a beganage. It's a beganage, yes. Yeah. And my understanding is that it was originally built for a group of pious women, and then over time has become the home for Benedictine nuns. Um, but it's this wonderful old complex of about 30 homes um, and a church, and all of the buildings are white, and they're sort of built around a common green area, and it just has this wonderful historical contemplative sort of feel mm. about it, and it was uh, quiet and peaceful, and just I felt like I was stepping back in time. Yeah. Um, you know, this a is medieval time and just uh, very special and only about a 10 or 15 minute walk from the main part of the old town. So it was very easy to get to and definitely worth the walk. Yes, Catherine, this this is one of the highlights of this part of Europe, really. And in Bruges, they've got these wonderful bigonages and it's uh, a home of the Beguines. And uh, back then, there was a lot of reasons men would go off and die. And there was a lot of women, unattached women, and there was a lot of poverty and so on. And the church would take them in and, and give them a courtyard, and, and they would be religious lay people, I guess. Yeah, and, they uh, could leave whenever they want. They didn't have, have to take the vows, but right. they took care of, of uh, the sick, the, old, the elderly, and they lived in a more safe, secure spot. That's why it's uh, in Bruges specifically. You have it uh, surrounded by a wall. There's a little gate that you can go in. So in the older times when they lived together, they were safe from all the dangers outside of it. And when a visitor goes in, there's there's still people living there, and you, you feel like folding your hands and whispering. Yeah. Yes, you do. It does. It feels very contemplative and very peaceful. Yeah, just a very special experience. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a sweet, a sweet dimension of uh, Bruges that uh, the adventurous tourist enjoys. And good for you, Catherine, for finding that. Thanks for your call. Oh, thanks. Okay, bye now. Mm, bye. Nico Favarillo manages land and river cruise tours in Germany and the Low Countries. He's with us on Travel with Rick Steves to tell us about his home port of Bruges. It's a charming time warp in the West Flanders part of Belgium. Our conversation was recorded just before the pandemic impacted travel plans. And Marty's on the line from Atlanta. Marty, have you been to Bruges? I have, Rick, and I love it. I was there with a girlfriend about six or seven years ago, and this year I get to go back with my husband, which will bring a whole new dimension to it. Nice. Um, I'm getting all sorts of ideas from Nico. Thank you. I love the architecture. I went from Amsterdam to Bruges, and in each little town, the architecture got older and older, and Bruges was the pinnacle, I guess, of the medieval architecture. There are a lot of houses that open a room as a B&B, and I did that last time. I'm doing it again, and it's a very warm population, I would say. And You know, Marty, it's a population that welcomes the tourist, and the tourists are part of the economy. So if you're a, a simple person on the outside of town and you've got a, a house that's too big for your family and you're an empty nester, you'll, you'll rent out rooms to tourists. And uh, I like to rent a bicycle and, and establish a home in a bed and breakfast like that, Airbnb or whatever. And then with your bicycle, you can just uh, explore. You can bike around the moat. You can see the windmills. You can drop in on the ladies making lace. It's just a, it's just like a fantasy for a tourist. What are a couple of the visits that you made? Uh, did you go to any little museums that you, re- you would recommend? Um, we did. My girlfriend and I uh, got all three food groups handled in one day. The first visit was to the Chaco Story, which is a chocolate museum. Right. And, of course, there's 
tastings at the end. Mm -hmm. And from there, we went to the Frit Museum, which is a museum about potatoes and French fries. And, of course, we had lunch, and, and they eat their French fries with different condiments than we're used to, so that was fun to explore that. So instead that. of ketchup, mayonnaise is the, is the default, isn't it? It is, and then they <laughs> flavor the mayonnaise with different things. Right. And my first time I heard mayonnaise, I thought, oh, that's so gross. Oh. But it's delicious. Like it. <laughs> yeah, so give it a try. And if you want your uh, tomato sauce, you can have that, or you can have different spicy uh, ketchups. You know, the uh, Chocolate Story and the French Fries Museum, those are commercial ventures. You know, they're just making money, but they're entertaining. Did you find those were worth the money, or did you find that they were gimmicky? Both. Um, we did not go into Bruges six years ago with your book, which was a mm-hmm. mistake. Mm. <laughs> and um, so this time when we go, we will really have more of an mm-hmm. idea of what we will do. You know, one of those experiences is fine. You mm-hmm. know, I'm, I, I want to go off the beaten path. I loved hearing Nico talk about the boat trip and yeah. then seeing... I'm going to do that. I've done the boat trip, but I'm going to do the walk after the boat trip and really get into the neighborhoods. That's what travel is for me, is really absorbing what it's like to live in this place. That sounds great. Marty, thanks for your call, and have a good next visit to Bruges. Thanks so much. Bye-bye, Rick. Bye now. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Nico Favaril. He's our guide from Bruges in Belgium. And Nico, uh, there's so much to talk about in Bruges. The, the Carillon, they've got this wonderful... Uh, Caroline is a is a, like a, a keyboard set up to all the bells, mm-hmm. and you can actually climb up the, another tower in the town. Yes. And you can. I, I met the Caroliner, the man who plays the Caroline, and and they don't play with their fingers; they pound it with their fists when they're closed on their with their little finger hitting the keyboard. Yeah. And I shook his hand, and his little finger was twice as wide as wow. a normal little finger because it was so calloused from a lifetime of pounding those keys. Did he allow you to play the Caroline? He didn't, but he invited oh. me to come to the concert that oh, okay. night in the courtyard at the oh, base of the yes. tower. A free concert and he stuck his head out the window from the top of that tower and he waved at us and it was such a delightful experience. And let's just finish one more dimension of the city that we haven't talked about is the beer. And when I go to Bruges, I meet a lot of Americans, especially from the East Coast, that are on like three-day beer pilgrimage tours just flying from New York to Bruges to enjoy the beer. Uh-huh. How do you enjoy the beer in Bruges? Well, we have, we have there's some uh, a place, it's a, it's a shop where, which uh, just sells Belgian products. Mm-hmm. But at the entrance, you have a big wall. It's called the famous beer wall. We have about a thousand Belgian beers and almost, I wouldn't say all of them, but most of them are in that wall showing the bottle and the glass from which the beer is drunk because every Belgian beer has to be drunk from a specific glass. Because I went to one of these uh, pubs in Bruges, and I wanted a particular beer, and they said, well, we've got the beer, but we don't have the glass. And they they were apologetic, and they actually thought I would want to change beers because they didn't have the right glass. But I said, you know, you can use whatever glass you want. But I guess for a Belgian connoisseur, the glass makes uh, It also goes the other way around. If you order a beer and they serve it in a different glass, the customer can say, I'm sorry, you know, this is not how how I ordered it. it. Well, that's that's a nice wall to see with uh, all the Belgian beers, you can buy them and then try them in the, the spot itself. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Nico Favorio. We're celebrating Bruges. It's one of the most beautiful little towns in Europe. Nico, it, thank it you is. so much. <laughs> thank you. It's Italy's financial center and one of the largest metro areas in Europe. But Milan is not one of the first places most people plan to explore in Italy. Up next, guides from Italy recommend why you should include Milano on your next visit. It's Travel with Rick Steves.
They say for every church in Rome, there's a bank in Milan. Visitors to Italy's high-powered center of commerce find that Milan is also rich with fashion and design, masterpieces of art and opera, and it's the industrious heart of today's Italy. For an appreciation of what Milan has to offer, we're joined by two tour guides based in Italy. Donald White lives about an hour away in the scenic lake district near the Swiss border, and Alfredo Vitale is from Naples in the south. Gentlemen, benvenuti. Thank you. Thank you. So, Alfredo, you're from Napoli. Yes, That's I am. sort of the opposite extreme of Milano. From your perspective in the south of Italy, looking up at the business capital in the north, what do Neapolitans think about Milano? Well, it's been a, really a very controversial, you know, relationship going through the years. But for um, us Neapolitans, especially when I was young, when I was in my end of teenage years, I was actually looking, like many other friends, to Milan as the really the only city in Italy where you could have a, an European perspective. And especially if you were a creative person, uh, you would look to Milan as the city like a reference city for you. Many so of my friends... it's the city of design, it's the city yeah, of Yeah, actually, a couple you know. of my friends went there to work into the fashion industry. Uh-huh. Uh, some people went there to the um, uh, university, both for engineering and for uh, MBA. We have the best MBA school in Milan called Bocconi. And if, if something is going to fit in with the hardworking German style of economy and everything in Italy, it's going to be Milano. In definitely, north, definitely. And also it's one of the most uh, cosmopolitan cities we have, right. we have in Italy. All right, thank you. And Don White, uh, Donato, do your friends call you Donato? <laughs> no. No, Don, Donato Bianco. Donato no. Bianco, no. no. And Don, Don, Don in Italy is dangerous. It makes you either a priest or a mafioso, so... <laughs> <laughs> so you're I just stick to Donald. Donald. Donald, <laughs> what's your story? You're, you've settled in Lake Como, just the kind of the beautiful romantic lake just an hour north of Milano. But, yeah, you're, not, but it, you're not Italian. No, but I moved to Italy first. I lived in Milan for three years, uh-huh. 1989 to 1992, and right. I was teaching there in Milan. Uh-huh. And then I moved out to Lake Como. But you hop on that train and in one hour, one hour in the big city. One hour, yes. So from your perspective, how, how what characterizes Milano among uh, Italian cities? It's different from other cities. It's more down to earth. In some ways, it is very much work-oriented. They have a different mentality, and it is more Germanic. And although I never learned Milanese uh, dialect, my friends taught me one phrase, which is, Var unanda che And what is that? It means it's better for one person to actually get up and go than for a hundred people to say, let's go, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> that that is that's a nice phrase to remind people when you're in Italy because when I cross the border in Italy the first thing I think is il dolce far niente. Exactly. And what does that mean? That means the sweetness of doing nothing and that's also possible in Milan. Yeah. But once you've done your work, once you get to aperitivo time. Cuz when you're in Milan it feels like people have this brisk step. There's power a lunches, bit more. you yes. know, everything. It is, is a just, business city. It's a it's a business city. In fact, they say, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, there's a bank in Milan for every church in Rome. That sums mm-hmm. it up quite nicely. Yeah. There's a rivalry between Rome and Milano. What, what's with that? Well, they say also. I remember they they told me when I was working there, Milan works so that Rome eats. Milan works so Rome eats. Mm. Well. Alfredo, you're down in Napoli, where, yes. I mean, everything is just, yeah. let's live for today in, in yeah. Napoli more yeah. than in Milano. What do you think? Do you think they're out of balance, or do they think you're out of balance? 
You know, there is a very good exchange because actually they love coming to Napoli on vacation, the Milanese people. We have many of them coming down okay. and they love actually coming to Napoli because they just love that atmosphere that normally they don't don't have in their cities. Right. And it's the same for us. I mean, mm-hmm. I will not say I go to Milan because it's the most beautiful city in Italy. We have so many yeah. beautiful cities. Uh, not and even, the climate is not the exactly, best. Exactly, <laughs> the climate is not the best. Oh my and goodness, it's such a beautiful climate, but you're spoiled, so you want better <laughs> climate. Yeah, you'd go farther south? No, it's just particular to Milan because oh, it sits in a fog pit. And oh, so, it's a fog pit with, with millions of people. That's so why they all smoggy. leave on the weekend to go to the mountains, yeah, to exactly. go to the sea and get out of so the So, Alfredo, fog. when you go to Milano, what, what would be on your list of things to do? Well, there are a few things because it's, it's not a beautiful city, but there are some beautiful areas. There is right. some beautiful, you know, little places. Like if, if you go for a walk in Via Mozart, which is an amazing legal street, really central, uh-huh. with beautiful houses and gardens where you can see amazing... Pe- pedestrian streets. Pedestrian streets, Brera area is so nice. Well, I mean, even, uh, what's around. the big one that goes up to Forteza, Via Do? Via Cavour. Via Cavour. Yeah, yeah. Via Cavour. It used to be a traffic jam, and now it's a park. I know. They're, they're, doing, uh, they're improving a lot on that point of view. When you are in Brera, you are in a very you know, artisty and mm-hmm. beautiful area for cafes, and it used to be the area of the famous bars for the aperitivo, like the Jamaica, which used mm-hmm. to be a very famous one. And then you can go out to the, the canal district also. That's quite trendy. Yeah, actually, that's another beautiful area, the area of the Navigli, with some very good restaurants. I, well, actually, my favorite restaurant in Milan is Neteria. In the, in the Navigli. Which yes. one? And it's called Pont de Fer, Bridge of Iron, the Iron Bridge. The Iron Bridge. And Pont it's very good, very, very good. This is I like Berlin. 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 No, Berlin. 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 That's yes. a restaurant. Yes. Mm-hmm. In, and how do you say this district, the canal district? Navigli. 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 A reminder that Milan, while it's buried way in the middle of the country, has, has canals and there's a, it's a, it used to have a small port anyways. They used to say that they had more canals in Milan than in Venice before Mussolini covered them all over. Mm-hmm. Ah. And that the water is still there. And that's why it's so humid in the summer because the water underneath the street is still there and we have so many mosquitoes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I, I just, an amazing I'm, number of mosquitoes. When you look at the Duomo, the magnificent cathedral, this flamboyant, so many spires, so many statues, the sort of final over-the-top flowering of the Gothic movement before the more stately Renaissance domes. You wonder, how did they get all that marble there? And they actually had a canal. where, mm-hmm. the, where yes. the, It came from Lago Maggiore when it was brought down. Macquarie yeah. nearby. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Don White and Alfredo Vitale. We're talking about Milano. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Lynn's calling from Kew Gardens in New York. Lynn, have you been to Milano? I've been to Milano so many times I can't count because I go for work. And I've been very, very lucky to go there. But my favorite thing is the aperitivo time. Mm. And you can go super sophisticated to the Bulgari Hotel or the Dolce Gabbana Cafe and have these lovely, lovely appetizers with a drink. But the best part there is seeing the crowd come in after 7. So go a little bit before 7, get your seat, and just watch the Milanese come in and their beautiful outfits. It's amazing. And then, since you mentioned the Duomo, you can go to the Rinascente department store on the top floor and overlook the Duomo at the very top. You can almost touch all the sculptures, and it's marvelous for that kind of viewing. There's a whole series of department stores with open-air terrace kind of restaurants up at the, up the roof level of the cathedral, isn't there? 
Oh, yes, there are a few. Over uh, right across on the other side of the Duomo, there is another one. The Spirit the, Good. Well, it's just, I can't remember the name of that one. But it's so user-friendly, and just it's a celebration of the architecture and the history and the food of Milano. Tell me, Lynn, a little more about the aperitivo, because uh, I understand it's you buy a drink and you get a, a little buffet of, of uh, delightful little things to eat. What might you eat? Well, at uh, Dolce Gabbana in Bulgari, they give you the um, more sophisticated fare. Uh, there is mozzarella bars and carrot sticks or whatever. They've changed it throughout the years and got a little bit more sparse. Mm. Um, Barbasso, which is a, a very traditional place that the Milanese really go to also. Just have to I used to live just there. above Barbasso. You did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Don, when you, th- when you think about uh, the aperitivo, Don, what do you... What do you I do think you more in terms of aperitena, where it becomes dinner. Uh-huh. And that's why a lot of people <laughs> after work go there because they've had a hard day. They probably have a big lunch and then they just have their aperitivo on the way home. So, so the tradition really... is aperitivo, but the, the, the nickname for going there and scamming a free dinner out of the cost aperitivo. of a cocktail is a, yes. is a chena is the word for dinner. So yeah. aperitivo. Yes. Exactly. And really you can buy a, a, a drink or a cocktail for less than $10 and dinner yeah. You know, comes yeah. with it. Comes I with mean, it, if you yeah. want a light yeah. dinner, if you like the... Yeah, and in, in Italy, actually, Milan was really the city to start it was this the aperitivo yeah. tradition. This sure. is why ah. we refer to Milan also. Actually, there was a saying that was not... I'm not sure it was very positive to call uh, Milan la città da bere, Milano da bere. Eh? <laughs> what is bere? What, uh, <laughs> to drink. To drink. To drink. The city to drink. Hey, Lynn, thanks for your call. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank okay, you. Okay, take care. Il treno regionale veloce delle ore 11.13 per Torino Porta Nuova è in partenza dal binario 7. Alfredo Vitali and Donald White are tour guides based in Italy. They're singing the praises of Milan, the big city of northern Italy right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Note that our conversation was recorded just prior to the global pandemic. You know, a lot of people go to Milan to see Leonardo's Last Supper, a magnificent piece of art. Don, what is the trick for seeing The Last Supper smartly? Uh, you have to get a reservation. It's required. It is. Uh, or, or you have to spend a lot of money just buying it from a tour company. It's going to charge you extra, but we'll get you in. So just go online and book your time. But if you know when you're going to be there, right. get your reservation. It's smart. And then it's it's so orderly and civilized. It is. There's uh, no crowds there because, you know, 25 people show up every 15 well, minutes. Well, you see, that's Rick, it. I go back to the days when you could just wander in any time when I lived there. It was like that. And it's not like that now. But not only from the crowding point of view, but because they want to protect. It's a very delicate painting. Mm-hmm. So you have to come into this kind of detoxification exactly. chamber before yeah. you get so you, to... You, you, so you that they never a little it, bit. Well, no. So that, yeah, exactly, because there's too much humidity coming yeah. in. And even in Leonardo's time, the paint was coming off the wall uh-huh. and then so it's a painting which suffered a lot, mm-hmm. and so you can respect why they have to control this. And apart from Leonardo's Last Supper, uh, Alfredo, there's other important sites to see. What are two or three other sites we'd want to be sure to check out when we go to Well, Milan? definitely you want to see the Duomo. I mean, it's such, it's a a, such an amazing cathedral and unique and you can go to the rooftop, style. Too. You can visit inside, go to the rooftop. And as uh, we were mentioning before, also there is a way to go to the opposite side, which is the Renaissance department store, and go to the top floor. And from there, you have even a better 
rear view yeah. on the on the roof without because uh, you can just go up there free on the elevator and walk yeah, out and yeah, yeah. and then there is cafes the if you want you yeah. can you can get a drink also at the same time it's very, very important nice. the, the cathedral was filled with great art and now most of that art is actually in the museum just across the way and they've reopened that museum and it's magnificent yeah museo del duomo and there is also actually in museum in terms of museums not only that one but mm-hmm. uh, actually milan is very very interesting for example brera in brera you see many beautiful beautiful yeah brera which is oh, not only a museum but it's a neighborhood which is mm-hmm. very interesting yeah. because it is the artist's neighborhood and of you'll milan. see the greatest masters in europe if you can think of the most famous painters they probably have a painting or two in the brera oh, actually they in brera they have uh, they have titian they have raphael they have da vinci also uh-huh. they have the portrait of a musician there isn't it in a it's associated with an with a school or an art school or, or is that oh yeah brera is the art school it's, it's the, the art main school. art school of lombardia it's one of the main art schools in italy and so the artists this is why it's an artist neighborhood and then of course uh, right off of the square from the duomo you've got the gallery victor emmanuel and yeah. this is just the first modern shopping mall from what 120 years ago yeah it's beautiful it's absolutely worth walking into it's worth stopping off for your aperitivo there because campari was invented right there uh, in right the, there in the well bar. the campari family had the barge yeah. as you go in on the left and so it's a classic place for a drink and also a classic place once you've been to the opera, you're going to come out and you're going to go to Savini for dinner. Yeah. So it's we're, we're talking about these walk. elegant people. Yes, They're going to tumble is. out of that opera yeah. house all dressed up and have their Campari. Yeah, La Scala is just across from there. I mean, you know, when you exit the Galleria from the opposite side, where then Duomo Square, you get just in front La of La Scala. La Scala is right there, which is so amazing. I love going oh. there. I'm from Napoli. I wish people could see your face right now, the I, way you brighten you know, up and I am smile. From Nap- I am from Napoli, and I have one of the most beautiful theaters in my city, which yeah. is San Carlo, which is yeah. considered the most beautiful in Europe, actually. Right. But the productions that they have at La Scala are so beautiful, interesting, powerful, that every year, at least once, I take the time to go there. So much to see. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking Milano with Don White and Alfredo Vitali. We're talking about the, the historic and the artistic wonders. There's also a new neighborhood. Don, talk about the, what is the, the new port. Well, this was uh, the Porta Nuova. Yeah. It's a, an area which is skyscrapers, if you like, but very, very distinctive skyscrapers. We've got the vertical forest up beyond the Porta Nuova. The vertical fo- forest, meaning a, like a high-rise condominium building yes. with, with just bushy with trees. With so many trees, it's very good. Yeah, for, Tito Boeri building. Yes. Tito Boeri is a famous architect. Imagine if that, all yeah. of our skyscrapers were bushy with trees. I saw it the first time from the train, and yeah. I was just amazed, like, how did they grow these trees all over? But, but this is one of those sites. I thought I knew Milan. You know, I update it for my guidebook every couple of years. I go there, and then all of a sudden, Porta Novo. It's the new port, and it's just this forest of skyscrapers, very futuristic, very people friendly, and a, a good example about how there is another cities are a work in progress. There is another new thing in Milan which uh, people should visit, and this is Fondazione Prada. The Prado, Prada, 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 Prada. You know the fashion, the, the, the foundation uh, fashion. of Prada. Yeah. Okay, and what is and, that? And it's it's an art, um, contemporary art mm-hmm. museum, which is uh, not far from Porta Romana, and it's actually a very new area with beautiful, beautiful uh, contemporary art, yes. uh, and also happening some of the fashion week takes place there. Uh, there is this interconnection in Milan, you know, so in between much. walls. Yeah. So much. Yeah. You, you stand on the. You stand on the main square of the Duomo, and on top of the Duomo you see this golden statue, beloved by the Milanese. La Madonnina. Oh, La Madonnina. How can you, how can you not the see Virgin that? Mary. Yeah. 
the little Madonna. Esatto. It's Madonnina. a little one. She, she's probably big, but on top of that big church, she looks little. A little, little, but it's not But I'm in the mood for a drink and actually a little shopping. I'm not always in the mood for shopping, but in Milano, I like to go shopping. Don, take a shopping and let's get a drink on the way to Monte Napoleone. Monte Napoleon is the heart of the fashion business. There's a wonderful cafe, very old-fashioned. It's very atmospheric, called Cova. Uh-huh. So I would start off there maybe for a cappuccino or to go for a drink, a prosecco, and then, uh, and then a little aperitivo. And then probably I'm going window shopping because it depends on your budget, but it's going to be a little bit expensive. But you definitely want to walk down Monte Napoleone, the Via Sant'Andrea, and yeah. Via della Spiga. Yeah. And these are the three streets which make up the main fashion business. What shops might we see there? Oh, everybody. Every famous name. I mean, Armani, Prada, Versace, Versace. Name it, they are there. And it's Alfredo, all. you'll be walking, shopping. Take me walking for a block. And uh, not only do you see the windows, but you see the people. Oh, yeah, that's actually the best way to get Milan atmosphere, especially during the fashion week there, but not only. Even during a normal, uh, you know, weekend, you can see amazing Milanese ladies, you know, walking around and shopping their shopping bag. Sometimes they have somebody carrying the shopping bag from them. Because, you know, that's very chic. And somebody else carrying their dogs, because that's also chic. I mean, carrying their dogs. And even um, cigarettes you are chic. They, you know, they have, a, they have a award for the ladies, in the, the rich ladies that do that kind of shopping in Milano. They're called the Shura. What is that? The Shura. It's, it's a Milanese word for signora. Huh? Huh? But when you say Shura, you mean upper-class lady. The so ones you see that a lady shopping. really well-dressed with somebody carrying her dog. Exactly. That's a Shura. A for sure. For yeah. sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Don White, Alfredo Vitale, Milligrazzi, for a better understanding of um, beautiful Milano. Everybody goes to Rome, Venice, and Florence. Yeah. Don't forget Milano. Go to Milan. Milan is where it's at. <laughs> All right. Grazie. Thank you, Rick. Grazie. Ciao, Alla ciao. presto. Ciao. We can travel in our imaginations with the original haiku poems our listeners send us from time to time at ricksteves.com slash radio. Here's a few we thought you might like. Stacy Vakauskas from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, sent us a few haiku snapshots from her travels, which often seem to include an inviting beach. Adventure beckons, umbrella rainbow, sparkling waves, warm sand, cold beer. Sandra Van Dam Anderson of Tucson wrote this haiku about Fanning Island in the middle of the Pacific in Kiribati. Heavenly footprint, coral reef, turquoise lagoon, baskets, shark teeth, shells. And this one about Bora Bora. Sapphire, indigo, lapis, turquoise, cobalt blue. Water is heaven. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington by Tim Tatton, Kaz Hall, and Donna Bardsley. Andrew Wakeling uploads the shows to our website. Sheila Gerzoff handles affiliate promotions. And our theme music is by Jerry Frank. Thanks to Gretchen Strzok for reading our listener travel haiku. You can find out about our guests and read Rick's travel blog on our website, ricksteves.com. Enjoy Europe on a Rick Steves bus tour. Our bus tours are designed to economically and efficiently share our love of Europe through my favorite places, people, and experiences. With small groups, strict health and safety protocols, great guides, and dozens of exciting itineraries, a Rick Steves Europe tour just might be the perfect fit for your travel dreams. Learn more at ricksteves.com.